So he does a lot of work with uh, immigrants. So there's an immigrant hope center over here at 66th Street. Uh, he actually created that whole paradigm. It's one of the few church-related immigrants uh, organizations in the country. And uh, that was his brainchild and uh, Gateway Theological Institute. He's just a dear friend of mine, and, and we're looking to do some ministry out in this area. So it's good to have him with us tonight. And uh, we're going to be looking around the area with a couple of uh, pastors uh, over the next couple of days. So we're, we're excited about doing that together. But it's great to be here with you tonight. Uh, I love pastors Brian and John and, and Kim and Terry, and uh, it's just, it's really good. It's good to see you guys. Hey, I want to uh, tell you, there's there's a way that we can live uh, that exceeds any other way that anybody in the world can can potentially offer you. And that that is the truth. And I'm not selling you anything. I'm not going to collect anything from you. I'm not taking up any offerings later. Now, he may be, but I'm not. You're taking up two offerings. <laughs> anyway, I don't need any money. I'm selling nothing. I have no books to sell. Uh, you know, a lot of people in the world today will tell you they, they know a great way to live, the best way to live, and you get yours right now. You know, you get it, and even in the church, you know, you sprinkle a little Jesus on top of your life and, you know, add some inspirational quotes and stuff in there, and you're good, you know? And, uh, and just keep on going. Do the best you can, and it'll be good. But how many of you know that all the promises uh, and all the plans that don't take the Word of God just as it is, and don't follow Jesus just as He led us, they're all just vapors. It's all just fleeting. It's all passing. But if you can get to know the Jesus of Scripture... And you can follow him and you can follow his word. Now that's a way to live. I remember one time telling my dad, uh, I, was in a, I was in a bind in ministry, which that's kind of the nature of ministry. You're, always, you're bouncing from one bind to one challenge to the next. If you're really trying to do anything, life is that way, right? I mean, life is never really easy for very long. There's always something coming. If you're not in something right now, it's always something coming. Well, that's the way ministry is. And I remember telling my dad, uh, who, who hasn't, you know, had all the education and all this kind of stuff that God has blessed me with over the years. Dad, I, you know, he's, I'm telling him about the situation. He's like, well, what are you, what are you going to do? And I was like, I guess we're just going to have to trust the Lord. <laughs> and he said, well, that's not a bad place to be, is it? <laughs> I mean, just honestly, yeah. is that not the truth? My education and all that kind of stuff, it's garbage if it's leading me away from trusting the Lord. It's garbage and it's worthless if it's not leading me to a place where I'm drawing closer to Him and going closer to the way He's prescribed for me. And the same could be said for you and for me. Me in ministry, each of us in life. And I want to tell you tonight, there is a way to live if we can put Christ at the center of our lives and we can go after Him every single day. That is a way to live. There is no better way to live than that. And so I'm thinking, how in the world can I bring a message uh, to really lay out my heart? I got I get one time a year, maybe three or four times this year, <laughs> to come to Sonship. My daughter now lives in Bay Ridge. Love Bay Ridge. I've always loved Bay Ridge. 
But my daughter now lives here, so I have plenty of other reason to come back to Bay Ridge now. So praise God for that. Love Bay Ridge. Always have. But nevertheless, um, where was I going before I brought my daughter up? (laughs) So the bottom line is, is that, you know, I'm praying and I'm saying, God, what can I come and what can I share with these people at this this one moment? And this is the thing God's had on my heart for almost a month. John chapter four. So I want to invite you to open a Bible. Turn with me to John chapter four, verse thirty one. And I'm not going to preach the entirety of the, of the life of Jesus. There's no way that I could. But I'm going to preach a moment in his life that is really just beautiful. And this particular chapter, if you could just give a year to this one chapter and chew on it and chew on it and chew on it, you'd be so, so much richer for it internally. Your mind, your heart, your faith. you fall more and more in love with Jesus. And I spent almost all of January thinking about John chapter 4. And so I, it, was, it became an easy decision for me what I'm going to share with you tonight. Now John uh, is one of the apostles. He, he referred to himself as the one Jesus loved. <laughs> love, I love that. He called himself the one Jesus loved as if I am his favorite. And so John writes and he loved Jesus and Jesus loved him. And at the end of the Gospel of John, he writes this verse, uh, a couple of verses, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And I'm just saying this to frame where, where I'm going with the message. But John writes this to tell us basically what the whole Gospel is about. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. I believe with all my heart, Jesus wants everybody in here to not just survive, not just get by day to day. And I know we all go through those seasons. But Jesus wants more for you. Jesus wants more for me than to just get by. He wants us to live. And the way we do this is by knowing Him and by knowing what He's done and by believing in those things, believing that He still has the power to do those things, the will to do those things, and that He can and He will do those things. And by believing that, we live in His power. And so John writes this whole gospel written with that purpose in mind so that people like you and me could read the story of Jesus and get to know Him, get to know His heart, get to know His mind and what He did. And so that takes us back to John chapter 4. So this is one of those moments where John is writing and he tells uh, in this gospel this moment that was so special. I think it's one of the highlights in the public life and the public ministry of Jesus. And there's several reasons why, but you'll get them as we go through here. But beginning in verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now pause right there for just a second. Just to give you a little backdrop, they've had a very busy schedule. They've been traveling. They're hungry. They're thirsty. Jesus has sent the disciples on... They're going on to get some food and they're coming back to meet Jesus to bring the food so that they can, they can feed Him and take care of Him. And so they come back with the food. They're expecting a hungry and tired Jesus. And they say to Him, Rabbi, which means teacher, eat. But He says to them in verse 32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. 
So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He's saying, My food. My joy, my power, my strength is to do what I was sent to do. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been enjoying something so much that you, you completely forgot about being hungry? Yes. <laughs> maybe not lately for some of us. But maybe when you were a child, did you ever out playing or something like that before it was like this all the time? Were you ever out playing and you're like, and you're out doing stuff all day long and you had to have your mom come outside and say, it's time to eat. Come in. Were you ever, have you ever been so busy doing something? It could be work. It could be, it could be playing. It could be one of a number of things, but you're so satisfied in what you're doing. You just forget to eat and you're not even hungry. Well, that's Jesus in this moment. He is so full. They're coming back expecting him to be famished. And he says, I'm more than satisfied. I'm good. (laughs) You know in that moment they got to be thinking, what in the world did we miss? And we'll get back to that in just a minute. As a matter of fact, that's what the message is about. But that's the moment that I want us to get to. What in the world made Jesus so happy that he, he didn't even need more food? What made him so satisfied? He said, I'm good. They didn't know they were fasting. They weren't. He was just full. What was it? Here's what it was. A woman's life was changed. A broken woman's life was changed. And I want to tell you about that story. And I want us to learn some lessons from it. And so here's here's what I'm wanting to say. I want to learn from Jesus in this moment. Now there's a million lessons you could learn from Jesus. I just want to get just a few. And I want to give you just three commitments. I'll probably preach two of them and just throw the third one out there and let you run with it on your own. All right. I may even actually just preach one because I can be long-winded. So, uh, But I'm going to give you the commitments. The first commitment is this. I want you to make the commitment with me and with Jesus to live intentionally. Live intentionally. If you want a full life, if you want a good life, there are all kinds of people offering a good life. Jesus delivers on the good life. He doesn't offer and over promise he delivers. There are all kinds of lies out there. Jesus is truth. And Jesus is offering something really good. But in order to live that life, you're going to have to live like him and live intentionally. And here's what I mean. Live on mission with margin. Live on mission with margin intentionally. Let's look at chapter four, verse one, going back. What led Jesus to be so full? Now, when Jesus learned, verse 1, that the Pharisees, these are people who did not like Jesus, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus didn't baptize himself, but only his disciples, he left Judea again 
and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And so let's just pause right there at verse 6. I want you to see something with me. There's a couple of things in here you can't just pick up randomly. We're obviously picking up in chapter 4. We're picking up in the middle of uh, John telling a story that Jesus has been out doing ministry. There are some people who don't like Jesus. There's this miracle worker, this teacher who's disrupting status quo. They're not really liking him. They're wanting to follow him. And if he continues on the path that he's on, they want to get rid of him. And so Jesus knows it's not time for that yet. He's not looking for that battle. He's going to embrace that later, but not now. He is very intentional about when to fight what battle he's going to fight. Right now, he's intentionally avoiding the Pharisees. How many of you know there's sometimes wisdom in avoiding battles? You don't have to fight every battle that comes your way. And Jesus was intentionally avoiding this battle so that he could be on the mission that the Father had sent him on. And so Jesus goes on and he goes with his disciples. And it says in verse 4, he leaves the southern part of the region that he lives in. Now I've got a map and you can go into the back of your Bibles and you can find some maps there. But he's been down around Jerusalem. okay, And that's down in the southern part of the kingdom. Uh, There was... uh, Uh, Let me not get ahead of myself. He's going from Jerusalem and they're wanting to go back up into Galilee. He's wanting to go back up to Nazareth up near his hometown. All right. In order to do so, if you were to look on a map, you could just go due north. But here's the truth. Back in that day, they wouldn't have done that. And there's a reason for that. The reason they didn't do that is because Jews back then wanted to avoid Samaria. And the reason for that is because back around 722 BC, there was a guy, there was a a king from Assyria that came in and he just, he just basically took over that part of the country. And he went in and he, with his army, he went in and he took a bunch of those people. He removed a bunch of them and he took them down to his kingdom. And then he took a lot of his people and he put them in this, in kind of the middle of what was where the 12 tribes of Israel had lived. He put them right smack in the middle of that. And he did it intentionally. He, he planted these people there so that they could go in with their practices and so that they could bring in their idols and their gods and he could bring them, they could bring them in there. And this people, this Israel, this Jewish people who were a people of one God, now they could, they, they would be infiltrated by all these false gods. And you see, the, the, the king of Assyria was very wise, worldly speaking. He didn't really want to go in and kill everybody. He would just as soon go in and take over some other means. So what he did is he would plant them in there. And what ended up happening? was that the the Jewish people who remained after some were carried away, the Jewish people who remained, they ultimately, over the course of time, they welcomed people. And as they welcomed people, they they not only embraced them as neighbors, they actually took on their religious practices. So all the religions that were coming in from Assyria and from outside the world, they started taking them in. And it ended up with some sort of a weird mixture of Judaism and all kinds of idolatry. So it was some weird, messed up blend of some kind of crazy... I mean, depending on where you were was what you would get. 
Listen, here's, here's how wacky it got, right? These people were a people of the Old Testament. By the, by the time, of, uh, gosh, decades had passed, they only, they only held to the first five books of the Old Testament. They had completely disregarded the kings. They had disregarded all the prophets. They had disregarded all the wisdom literature, the Psalms, the Proverbs. They completely got rid of all that. They didn't want anything to do with it. They only kept the first five books of the Bible, and they were very picky and choosy about what they kept out of that. And in addition to that, you know, David David wanted to make uh, um, a temple in Jerusalem. David was the one that ultimately made Jerusalem the capital of the kingdom. Well... He couldn't because he was a he was a man with blood on his hands. God wouldn't let him do it. You got to let me teach you for a few minutes. Is this dry? Am I going to put you to sleep if I keep talking like this? I find it very fascinating, but I'm a Bible nerd. I'll go ahead and confess that for you. All right. So anyhow, uh, I'm going to keep on going. I'll wake you back up in a minute. All right. Uh, so what ends up what ends up happening is that here they are. You know, David wanted to put up a temple. That, It wouldn't happen. God wouldn't let him. And then so Solomon comes in after him. Solomon can. Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem. Well, of course, after the Samaritans, and then there's a split kingdom, before the Samaritans actually, but after Solomon, then the kingdom is split. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. There's Judah in the south and then there's Israel in the north. Israel in the north... They no longer claim, and and this is aided by the Samaritans, they no longer claim Jerusalem as the capital. Uh, They they called Samaria the capital. And not only that, they built their own temple. So now you've got one kingdom with one God who has two temples. There's all kinds of significance behind this. I'm just going to say it was a really messed up, divided situation. The, the people in the southern kingdom are saying, God meets us here in Jerusalem. This is the temple where God meets with us. And the people up in the northern kingdom are saying, no, it's out on Mount Gerizim where we have the temple that we've built out here. And so there's like this internal kind of a, a war going on. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that God had been grieved with his people for years. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because the people that were in that region, in the middle of the whole area, the whole nation, they were this, they were like a mixed breed of people who were syncretistic, meaning they had developed some funky religion that reflected nothing of what the Old Testament teaches us. They were displeasing to God and the people that were Jewish who were true to the Lord, they didn't want anything to do with these people. They saw them, they saw Samaritans as blasphemers. I'm going to say it, half-breeds. They were nothing but a problem. They, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like the Jews. Are you with me? A lot of animosity. Because of that, what would typically happen is if you were down in the southern kingdom, if you were down in Jerusalem, most Jewish people, they would avoid Samaria altogether. Okay, so imagine, how many of you know Manhattan pretty well? Right, okay. Earlier when I was processing how to deliver this to you, I was thinking Staten Island. I was like, half of them haven't been there. (laughs) So so I don't know if you have or not. But anyway, we all know Manhattan. So imagine you're down on Wall Street, right? You're down in the lower financial district. But you want to get up to Yankee Stadium. You want to go up to the Bronx. But you are so mad. You don't want to go through Times Square. You don't want to go through the middle of the island. So what do you decide to do? You're going to go way out across the river. You're going to go across the Battery Tunnel... And you're going to go out, you're going to get on the Bell Parkway, you're going to go all the way around, you're going to get up, then you're going to go cross Bronzka Expressway, and you're going to go all that way just to avoid Midtown. 
I just want you to know that's what the Jewish people would have done back in that day. That If you were to go back in the back of your Bible and look at the maps, you would see the... Just know they would cross the river, the Jordan River. They would go way east and then they would come back across to go back across the Jordan River to go to Nazareth. They would never have gone through Samaria. So, now we're back to the passage of Scripture. Verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. Jews didn't have to pass through Samaria. But Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? Because there was a hurting, broken woman that the Father wanted His Son to go and meet. I just want to say to you, that is so beautiful. I'm going to come back to that in just a few minutes. But I'm so thankful, aren't you, that Jesus lived intentionally on mission? Thankfully, Jesus wasn't too busy for what's about to happen. Because we're about to see something really cool. How many of you have ever been really messed up in your life and needed some grace? How many of you have ever received more grace than you ever required? Or no, required. (laughs) What am I trying to say? More grace than you ever deserved. Yeah. There's a lady. Let's look at her in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and, and, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Isn't it amazing? Even when we're broken, we know how to throw up smoke screens. We're going to have a theological debate. She doesn't know who she's dealing with yet. Intrigued, but not convinced of anything yet. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Verse 12, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, You're right in saying you have no husband for you've had five husbands. The one you now have isn't your husband. What you've said is true. The woman says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's one of those that's worth like on your own reading. You just pause and kind of chuckle. Good, pretty sharp at that point, right? I perceive you're a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. There's the debate with Gerizim and Jerusalem. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, the anointed one. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, this is where we'll stop. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. There's so much in this. I just, I, I could just explode in my mind when I read this. But I want you to know there are barriers. The second commitment that you want to make in your life, aside from living intentionally on mission with margin in your life, letting God the Father lead you, not just going about your five-year goal or your six-month goal or your one-week goal or your 24-hour goal. Nothing wrong with goals. I live by goals. I live by plans, sometimes too much. But letting the Father have His way and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide your steps and to lead you along His path so that He can lead you to serve Him. Even Jesus did that. The second commitment that you want to make and the second commitment that I want to make is I want to to live such a life that I am am deconstructing barriers. I'm, I'm... Tearing down barriers that are keeping people away from God and His blessings. And I'm instead building bridges into their lives. I'm a bridge builder. If you want a good commitment in your life, live in such a way that you're going to say, I'm going to be committed every day that that I'm going to... Whatever stereotype people have for us being Christians today, that we're unintelligent, that we're unloving because we have convictions, that we're this or we're that, I'm going to... I'm going to just do my best to show love to everyone that I can. I'm going to show care and concern to everyone that I can. I'm going to show the least and the lowest. I'm going to show everyone that I can, everyone within my power, that they are valuable to the living Lord. I'm going to tear down every barrier that I can and I'm going to instead build bridges. Because in this woman's life, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This woman had some significant barriers. There was a gender barrier. When she was up there in verse uh, 9, she says, you, you don't speak to a woman of Samaria. She's specifically saying woman because men and women back then, they didn't talk, especially if you're a rabbi. But he did. He spoke to her. Not only is there a gender barrier, there's a race barrier. I've already told you about the Jews and the Gentiles, that problem. There's also a doctrine barrier. She's throwing up Jacob and Jacob's greatness. She's throwing up the the fact that there's a temple in Mount Gerizim. That's very theological. That's like a doctrinal difference. (laughs) She's trying to shut down the conversation. Jesus just keeps going right over her. Oh, dear sister, you've missed it altogether. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not over here. The Father has sent me. There's doctrinal differences and Jesus is just transcending all of that and building a bridge into her life and delivering truth. There's lifestyle choices. This woman's saying, I've been married five times. 
Or Jesus is telling her and she's like, yeah, I, I perceive you're a prophet. She was an outcast. Do you know the reason she was at the water, the, the well that afternoon was because she was an outcast. They, they typically went early in the morning to get the water. What she was saying and, and the reason Jesus knew there was trouble is number one, she's alone. And she's alone by intent in the middle of the day. She's there because even among Samaritans, she's uncomfortable being around her own people. So it's not just that there's a distance in her mind between her and this Jewish man sitting by the well. There's a distance between her and everyone in her own culture. And what does Jesus do? He comes and He sees all of those barriers. (laughs) And He just runs right into that. This, this, This is the stuff we run away from. And Jesus ran directly to. I just love Jesus. In verse 7, Jesus saw this woman. I have a funny feeling that Jesus saw. He knew the Father was leading him. He knew. He said later on in John chapter 6 and John chapter 8, He did nothing except what the Father showed Him. I have a feeling in my heart, though it doesn't say it, He knew exactly. The reason He had to pass through Samaria Samaria was because of that woman and because of what was going to happen through her. Jesus saw her. Here's how he built bridges. He saw her, verses 7 through 10. He valued her. When Jesus says to her, give me a drink, you know what he's doing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like break this down so even the children can get this. Like when I was a kid, you know, you, some, you touch somebody and you get their cooties. Right? You know how you show value to somebody? You say, I'm not afraid of your junk. I'm not afraid of the, I'm not afraid. I know you're here at this time of the day on purpose. That's okay. I want to drink water from anything you touch. It's not unclean because you touch it. You're my kind of people. Praise God. <laughs> you just got to let that sink in on you because that's what he's done for every one of us in this room. Every one of us. That's powerful. When he's saying, you want to show somebody value? I once had a football coach who who was an incredible coach. He said, Eddie, if you want to show somebody value, show them that you you love them, you you want to bring them in, get them closer, stop serving them and ask them to help you. I was like, what? He said, by asking somebody to help you, you're showing them that you see value in them. That you see dignity in them. That you see worth in them. When Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water, He's saying, why wouldn't I drink from something you touch? Jesus listened to her. Verse 15... Look at verse 15. The woman says to him, Sir, give me this water. She's talking about living water. That way I won't be thirsty. And here's what she says, second half of that verse. Or I won't have to come here to draw water. Listen to what she's saying. I don't want to have to come here in the hot part of the day by myself. Alone. In shame, 
to carry my own water. You see, from paragraph to paragraph in our English Bibles, it just flows right on as if there's no time. But I just wonder if in that moment, Jesus didn't just hit pause and say, now, we're talking. Because she just revealed to him pain. You can't get that just reading that. But when you stop and you think about, I don't want to have to be here in the middle of the day. And Jesus says, but okay. Let's take this conversation a little further. He continues doing that. And then he spoke life to her. If you keep on going down through there, he tells her it's not about worship here. It's not about worship there. He didn't even debate with her. He just went up above her. (laughs) He didn't even engage Jerusalem, Gerizim. Stop. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) They don't get it. We don't get it. Stop. The fact of the matter is the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And there's coming a day where it won't be here. It won't be there. But it will be here. Amen. <laughs> and in verse 26, and this is where I'm going to land this. In verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you. She says, tell me who, tell me who this is. The woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. I know the Deliverer. I know the new Moses is coming. I know that He's going to give us ultimate truth. I know this one is coming. And He's going to tell us the truth about all these things. She's indicating kind of like you are with me right now. And Jesus just looks at her. This woman, by the way, read John's Gospel. At no point in the first few chapters of this gospel will you find Jesus explicitly revealing to anyone, not even His own apostles, that He is in fact Messiah. Who in the world did Jesus choose to reveal Himself to first? I am Messiah, but a broken down Samaritan woman who is too ashamed to be in front of all those people. And Jesus looks at her and says, you're the perfect carrier for my message. Go and tell them all that Messiah has come. Is that powerful? Can somebody say amen? Amen. That feels good in my head. I don't know how it feels out there. But I will tell you this. What I love about this passage is that when you look through there, Jesus gave her truth. The best thing in the world that you can do when it comes to building bridges in someone's life, you have truth. You have something precious and powerful and life-changing. Stop believing the lie that they don't want to hear about it. Stop believing the lie that everybody in the world is an incredibly intelligent atheist that's going to rip you to shreds if you start to talk about Jesus. Because they're not. Amen. The world needs forgiveness. The world needs truth. The world needs peace. The world needs Jesus. And you and I are the ones who have been entrusted with this message. And we can share this message with them just like Jesus did with this woman. And that's an exciting invitation. Amen. Amen. So you make the commitment. You make the commitment to live intentionally on mission with margin. You make the the commitment to live as one who tears down barriers and builds bridges. And then finally, you make a commitment to invite others to Jesus. 
And in doing so, you're, you're making a commitment to savor and celebrate God's grace to us and through us. Here's where it goes. I'm not going to read the rest of it. But I just want you to just to watch with me as this kind of wraps up. After Jesus reveals himself to her, <laughs> the woman just leaves the water that she had gone to get. And what does she do? She just goes and she celebrates. She's, she's like, you've got to come. There's this, there's this man over by the well and you've got to... She starts telling everybody about the one who told her. She says, this man has told me all about myself. <laughs> Remember what she said. She said, there's one coming who will tell us these things. What she's saying is Messiah is coming who knows everything. Jesus said, I am He. She left saying He is Him. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? I know, I'm goofy, but it's just some of you are looking at me. But I feel it in my heart. I really feel it because I've felt it. I've experienced it. I've tasted it. She runs and she tells people they come back and they meet Him and their lives are changed. And that's when the disciples come back. They're like, what's going on here? Jesus says, they come back with food. Jesus is like, just set it down. I don't know if they got KFC. I have no idea from Geno's, whatever they've got. And Jesus is like, sit it down over here. I am full. Why are you full? Because I have meat to eat that you know not of. My heart is satisfied. I came for this woman. I came for these Samaritans. I came that the least, the lost, and the broken might be saved. This is why I'm here. Every one of you, including myself, you and I, we're the woman by the well. We're the one that people could avoid. We're the sinful ones. We're the ones that are the outcast. We're the ones that are broken in need of grace. <laughs> and He has left heaven and come to earth to look for broken people like you and like me. Do you remember two, two implications? Two minutes. Two implications. I say two minutes. Let's say four minutes, two implications. (laughs) Number one, think about this for a minute. Savor and celebrate God's grace to us. Think about many of you are believers, if if not almost all of you. Some of you kids, I hope one day you get older and you meet Jesus like I did when I was a young adult. They invited me to church. They kept inviting me to church. I'm like, oh gosh, my mom's inviting me to church. I'm like, man, you do anything for mom. Like, oh gosh, he kept saying, come to church, come to church. Oh, all right. So I go. I go to church. And when I go to church, I'm, I, this guy starts preaching. It's like he's preaching just to me. I'm sitting in his full house. And it's like he's talking to nobody in the room but me. I was sitting in the back like these three little guys back here. But I was on the other side. And I'm sitting back there and I'm... I'm Ticked off because I thought my mom had told the preacher all about me before I got there. Everything in my life, he just kept going boom, boom, boom. He's hitting the checklist. And then he gets to the end and he talks about, and by the way, the title of the message, How to Go to Hell with a Positive Attitude. And so I'm sitting there and it's like hitting me every turn. And then he gets to the end of it and he says, of course, after this, you want to go to heaven. And so he starts talking about the difference between heaven and hell. He says, it's not your good works. It's not your church membership. It's not you making some kind of a commitment. It's your faith in Jesus. It's trusting that what Jesus did on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, He died to death, you should have died. And He didn't die to make you religious. 
He died to pay the penalty for your sin and to give you a new heart. And then that pastor said, oh, and by the way, he said, don't wait till you get it all together before you come to Him because you'll never get it all together. He said, come to Him as you are and here's the good news. He will help you from that moment all the way into eternity. Your going to heaven isn't based on what you do. Your going to heaven is based on all that Christ does for you. And at that moment, it was like just new life was given to me. And I'm going to tell you something. I went in that night, I mean so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. But that night I knew that I was there and that that voice wasn't the voice of the preacher. It was the voice of God coming after me. God was talking to me. Has God spoken to you? Tonight or any other night, God has sent His Son to save sinners. And if you are here and you feel broken, you feel sinful, you feel shame, you wonder if you're far from God, Jesus has come to bring you close. How bad are you? You've lied a million times. You've taken drugs. You've beaten people. You've done this. You've done that. I just want you to know no matter what you've done, He's mighty to save. He can forgive you. Just like He did me. So I hope you'll give your life to Him. Stop and savor God's grace to you. And by the way, part of grace, God's grace to you is God's grace through you. The fact that we get to share this story. I'm looking at a room full of ministers. I'm looking at a room full of ministers. Men and women. Men and women. My mother-in-law's name is Prissy. She lives up to her name. She is very Prissy. <laughs> And she is a powerhouse for the Lord. She goes to Harris Teeter, which is a grocery store, like Seatown over on Fifth Avenue, Key Foods, whatever it is you go to. She goes into this grocery store. She gets up. She gets dressed every single day. She's got a huge refrigerator and cabinet. She doesn't need to go to the grocery store every day. It's her mission field. Every day she goes in there and she stops and she talks to people. She knows the guy's name behind. She knows the butcher's name. I know because I've listened to her talk to her husband and she sent him to the grocery store. He didn't know where something was. And she said to him, why didn't you ask Dave? He's like, who's Dave? He's the butcher. How am I going to know the butcher's name? For her, that was just natural. Why? Because she's not going there just for meat or just for sugar or milk. She's going there. That's her mission field. Let me tell you something. Your barber, your salon, your butcher shop, your bakery, your grocery store. That's your mission field. Your neighbor is your mission field. That person there, that's the woman by the well waiting for you to bring truth to them. You know what the result of this? Life came to Samaria. Praise God. Revival came to that little town. All kinds of people came to meet Jesus because this woman's life was changed. If your life's been changed, celebrate the grace of God. Celebrate it with all your heart. Sing, praise Him, worship Him, and savor it. Chew on it. Be creative in the ways that you can go out and share that. Do you love Jesus? Would you stand with me? If you're here tonight and you've never met the Lord, you've never given your heart to Him, I just want you to know you're in the right place. You're in the right place. I'm glad that you're here. I'm very excited about what I'm sharing with you. You can tell that. But I want you to know I don't mean to just be a preacher. To get up here and preach to the choir. I mean to talk to everyone, whether you're a believer or not. And I want you to know I'm glad you're here if you're not a believer. Pastor Brian, Pastor John, myself, several people in here would love to talk with you. 
We'd love to share Christ more in depth with you if you need that. You've got questions? Good. We, we might be able to help you with some answers. Whatever we can't, we'll be honest. But we can pray and God can do some great stuff. But we all need forgiveness. And I'll tell you, if you want forgiveness, the place to get forgiveness is to go to the Lord through His Son, Jesus. Amen. And He gives it in abundance. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian... I want you to think right now, who is, who's your neighbor? Who's the woman at the well for you? Who, you? who can you share life with? Stop putting it off and start getting busy. Share life with that person or those people. Think about that right now and commit it to the Lord, would you? Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come and I just praise you and I thank you that the life you came to give, Jesus, you've given it to each and every one of us. Father, I want to pray right now that you would help us to celebrate the salvation, the forgiveness that you've given to us. And Father, you continue to give it to us, not just once and done 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. You continue to give us freedom and forgiveness. Lord, I sense in my heart that any time a group of people like this gets together, there's discouragement, there's fear, there's confusion, there's struggle. There are people in here wanting to quit even, Lord. I know in my heart that's always the case. But I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that the way you interrupted that woman's life by that well, you would interrupt the believers' lives in here right now. That you would lift the heaviness and replace it with a garment of praise. I pray, God, that you would, uh, Lord, just lift the discouragement and the despair. I pray that you would bring clarity where there's been confusion. I pray that you would bring peace where there's division and, a, and, a, and an undecided heart. I pray that You would bring forgiveness, not just from You, but for others. Lord, someone, and Lord, we're always struggling with forgiving other people, but Lord, You've called us to it. So Lord, I pray that they would know that the only way forgiveness happens is by Your Spirit. Help us forgive. God, I pray that by Your Spirit, You would just break chains that are binding us tonight, Lord. All the lies that are attacking our mind, God, may they right now be captured. And may they be rejected. And may truth come in. And Lord God, I pray that for every believer, let salvation be fresh tonight, Lord. Let it flow in this place like living water. Not old, stale stuff, but living water. Living water flow in this place right now. Power. Power. Holy Spirit power. Come. Overflow. And Father, we give our hearts to You to say, God, whatever You want for us right here. Let us be Your vessels. I pray in Jesus' name. Pastor Brian.